in Oklahoma City, and I'm here with Angela Chase. And who are you, Angela Chase? Uh, I am a chef and a pastry chef, and then most currently also a co-owner and operator of Paseo Farmers Market, and I run another business within that is Flora Bodega. Amazing. So I am so intrigued about how you got to this moment in time, especially with the two businesses you were just mentioning. But to rewind, you said you're a chef and a pastry chef. Mm -hmm. I've heard lots of accolades about your pastries. So tell us more. How did you get to this moment at this beautiful table in the Paseo district of Oklahoma City? Just setting the stage. We're in a very adorable arts neighborhood. So how did you get here? So then we have to go to Durant, Oklahoma. Oh. Durant. Uh, it's a southern town uh, close, closer to the Texas border. Um, my mother's from there, so I was pretty much raised until I was five. Uh, a lot of the, my knowledge of food and gardening and my relationship with food actually starts there with my grandparents. Mm. My grandmother, also on my paternal side, uh, Evelyn Epp is from Baltimore. So when I was born, she actually came from Baltimore to live in Durant Fascinating. while I was little. And so I had both of you know, like both the sets of, uh, not full sets, but uh, both sides of my grandparents were available to me um, in their cooking wow. and gardening. And that's where it began. From my experience, uh, I would go stay with my grandparents for actually extended amounts of time. Um, I would literally just hang out with them and stay there for days on end. And so a lot of like the smells and the flavors and dishes and learning how to bake and cook with them uh, begins there. And then as I get older, uh, there's different stages in my life where it's like, I feel like there's like bounty um, and then there's also like scarcity. And so then there was also a point of like, oh, if we want a birthday cake, you have to make it. And so, but also there's like a degree of being like spoiled on your birthday too. So I experienced like all sides of what uh, food accessibility is. Mm. So actually I've been cooking since I was a kid. And so it kind of just, there is no real start. It's just kind of my whole life. Right. And then it, it as a career, it becomes full circle later. Yeah. Mm. It's, you just said something that really resonated with me, which is bounty and scarcity. And I feel like that's so resonant of this moment in time of what bounty can be created in a moment where there might be more scarcity of resources or people. For example, less foot traffic going into a restaurant. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I'm wondering, and I want to keep hearing about your journey into becoming a chef and pastry chef. Maybe this ties into this question. But from this moment right now in 2020 to five years from now, how has this next evolution of the chapter of Angela's life, how does that look? How is that different than what it was a year ago? Uh, I would say a year ago I still had the same goals and uh, that's probably one of the things. I've had the same goal for probably 10 years actually. So oh, that's yeah. kind of what kept me afloat in times of that a lot of people I've watched in the industry, the food industry, burn out, uh, kind of implode and uh, just a lot of uh, negativity and just like I guess like reputations ruined and a lot of things that have gone down. I've met a lot of great people too but the people running the show within the industry, I feel like that uh, 
I've always, my goal was always to get away from other people controlling me or owning me and owning my work. Mm. And I would say at this point now, I, I didn't know COVID was coming. I didn't know we were going to be in a pandemic and everything that I had already been taking the leap, like this said it, I had, it was like, I predicted it Uh and, and not just myself, like others, but all the work we've done, it was like prime time. So then when I look into the future for the next five years, what I'm seeing right now as a a result in the middle of the pandemic happening, which was already brewing before within other people, not even the people I directly work with right now, but the younger generations, for example, too, they were already starting to see the pattern that I, you know, knew and they don't see a way out. And so I'm watching them do the same thing that I did, where it's just like trying to like source out, okay, here's my skill sets. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm doing. This pays the bills. And then do the same thing that I did where like make the decision of like, how can I slowly like weave in being self-sufficient? And so you see a lot of people leaning on Oklahoma cottage food laws is actually what saved us. So that's what I fall under, which is the uh, Oklahoma Baking Act of 2017. And this, when I found out about that 18, that's what I made the jump. I see. Okay. This is also very fascinating because... What a moment in time to have gratitude, thanking our past selves yeah. for this moment in time. It's like you were, you knew back yeah. then <laughs> what seeds needed to be planted yeah. in order yeah. for this moment to occur. Wow, yeah. very, very cool. So yeah. in 2017, when you started home baking, yeah, is that I, when yeah. you moved And I had started restaurant? building my branding more specifically uh-huh. and kind of like uh, hustling. I would sell plants and stuff like that under just flora before I flushed it out to a bodega. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18, so that law passed September, so by 18, the beginning of the next year, then I was, like, ready. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get this check. I'm going to go buy a tent to the farmer's market. I need a table. I need a chair. I'm going to move my stuff in a wagon. I, like, literally, in a pastry case, so I literally was, like, chipping away the infrastructure to be, like, a mobile unit, pretty much. And then to answer your question five years from now, what I, I, I'm witnessing with other people, like finally like making that decision and planning that leap. And then I've, I know for sure like one off the top of my head that's just kind of made it. And so everybody's at different stages right now. Yeah. Is I, in five years from now, I will be saying even less of like me and I. And then we're, we started a co-op business with the Paseo Farmers Market. And when I look at everybody else, like I see more of like a quilt woven of like how we'll all work more like a community and not like what we're all running away from, which is like the egomaniac, imperial, toxic, patriarchal, and even white feminism run food industry Uh that we are burned out, we're tired, it's abusive, it's toxic, it's not much to be proud of. But then you always, you're always trying to be proud of yourself and not like lose your soul in it. And so here Uh we are. Yeah, I I wonder in this weaving of a quilt, love this analogy, what are ways in which, I like to give our listeners actionable, actionable tidbits of advice, like things that they can take with them into their own communities. What are ways in which you're starting to um, thread that yarn, build this quilt now? Because I love the idea that it, it isn't just about you. It's about the entire cooperative that's coming together under the food co-op that you are a part of. And which is also uh, reflective on the economy too. So I would say one of, say for starting out, 
if I have extra baked goods, uh, setting up my business as Flora, like um, Megan, Cisco, that's also a part co-owner, would like make me a bouquet for my table. And then I would give her a cake. So there's also a lot of bartering and trading mm -hmm. and just like helping and reinforcing. Across merchandising. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And so, but we're all like, so the competition, and that's like crazy, like to just view working more together and not like, yeah, you, you're a florist and you sell flowers, but also like I'm Flora Bodega. And then I always wanted to sell flowers. Like, hey, can I have some flowers? I'm going to give you some cake. Mm-hmm. And seeing it as <laughs> like, yeah, working together through yeah. different sales channels. And that we all uh -huh. like want everything to work. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So I want to talk more about the co-op, but I do want to know more about you, how you got into the industry, what it is that inspired you around pastry in particular. And then we've talked about the reasons, the multitude of reasons why it's important maybe to reconsider being a part of the F&B industry machine and start mm -hmm. building agency and ownership for mm -hmm. oneself. But yeah, just that part of the journey that led you to this moment. Mm -hmm. oh How did I become a chef? Oh, did I know that story? I've actually written that story. Am I? <laughs> um, getting my foot in the door for the specifically working in the restaurant in industry, I started at the Earth um, Deli and Cafe. It's in Norman, Oklahoma. I a lot of people are like, "Oh, did you finish school? Like, finish college?" Like when I was living there, I was like, "No, I just moved here because I got a job. I already went to college, mm -hmm. uh, but I did go back to school." But when the uh, recession happened, which I worked in housing, I used to be an architectural drafter. Wow. So that summer, 2007, we were already we could see the pattern of like something's not right, and in the news all over the nation was like housing is great like reinforcing this idea that everything was like fine it's fine it's fine of course and an eight happens and it just starts crumbling right so uh i could luckily my living expenses were like super cheap at that time i lived in kind of like a, a women's co-op house mm -hmm. so i could work i think i was down to like one day a week of work or something like that and it was enough to like pay like my cheap bills and like i could make it but i literally i had no extra money and uh some of my roommates worked at the earth the cafe or the grocery store and because i cooked at home they were all before the recession were like oh you should like come work with us you you want a job blah 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 so then it was like okay i don't have any money I'm gonna go work at the Earth, and that got my foot in the door. And I, it's the wild thing is, is uh, when I was in high school, I know like for creative writing class, I would uh, actually write about owning a restaurant and stuff like that. So as soon as I got in it, I was like, oh wow, I'm tired of sitting at a desk. I love running around on my feet and making things and placing orders and getting to know customers. And so then my career starts from there. Fascinating. And so as you go through this journey of working in the industry and honing your craft around pastries, how has that now influenced your booming businesses of Bodega? But it was Flora and another It was brand. just Flora and then I fleshed out, the, yeah, the Flora Bodega because also as I uh, transcended across the industry, also a lot of the businesses I uh, worked with or associated with were also like uh, hybrid grocery stores. Uh-huh. So, I worked in specialty food and local food for many years and so all of that then I was like okay like yeah I would want to own a restaurant or whatever or like a grocery store but 
um, I don't know. I I think I did kind of make that decision. I would say right now, if you're like, hey, are you gonna open up a restaurant? I would say no. So that would go into your five-year plan of like, where I'm like, oh, if I open up a restaurant now, uh-huh. in fi- you know, in X amount of years, it wouldn't be like, I wouldn't hopefully, I would break all the habits and the cycles of what I've experienced that it would be something different. And I'm glad I don't own a restaurant right now. Like, right. Because right. I would do it differently. Yeah. Uh, and so it's the a timing I- thing. Yeah. Totally. And the idea of having, like you're saying, um, set up of a bodega, having a market space that also has local specialty goods mm-hmm. that you can also showcase your craft around mm-hmm. pastries or what have you yeah. as a part of the market. Yeah. And it's in, a very different business model than a restaurant. And then I... Uh, I guess for career wise of like being paid in a position it was always it started out it was savory food and then I could do bakers because I just also did those as a kid so I don't even know at some point I just like oh yeah I'm good at pastry and I I feel like somehow just like landed in that position but also I guess it was um, I love eating really good pastries I'm picky about sweets and then that also reflects on what I do make because I don't use like food coloring and a lot of processed food or anything like that. But if there ever were good pastries, I'd be like, who is that? Let's right next to him. I would just like, basically I was like spying on people and following them around. <laughs> like, but I, I really did do that. Like I'd be like, who's that chef? Like I need to go learn from him. And then I was like, oh, this is easy. Or, you know, it's hard work, but it was like, oh, I can do this. Like, it was an achievable skill that you mm-hmm. wanted to conquer. Yeah. So now when you're at the Paseo Farmer's Market, the, the co-op, mm-hmm. um, if I was to walk in, in a pre-COVID era, and yeah. come up to your booth, what types of products would I see on the table? Uh, I have been running an olive oil cake that's gluten-free. I've been making it from organic uh, blue cornmeal, so the cake is blue, but it, throughout the seasons when I get get uh, the cornmeal, it's from purple to like deep blue, so it's like the hues are always different throughout the season, Wow! Um, but then I, uh, it's topped with uh, blueberries, like chopped on top of it, um, so there's a blue cake, I'll do uh, like a buttercrust like quiche, uh, frittata that's also gluten free, I have almond shells, so I try to, I don't do terribly too much vegan stuff, even though I've, I kind of started out in the industry with like health food and, and vegan food, vegetarian. Um, I have a few things, um, but I've, it's, I've just kind of, like, exercised different avenues, but everything, I try to make sure it's made with, like, great ingredients, and it's not over the top, like, because I could do some super decadent stuff, but for the farmer's market, that's not quite what I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. It's like, keep it simple with, like, scones and biscuits also. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, like, a lot of little petite tarts. And how important is it to you to make sure that the raw ingredients you're using also comes from a local supplier? Yeah, and there is seasonal, so that kind of changes what uh, the scones, uh, unless I, like, go buy, like, right now, like, oh, I have, like, I'm hoarding blueberries at Jenna's house and, and, like, in different areas, so I was like, I have blueberries for a minute because they were really cheap, so, Ah. um, but everything else, so that one's kind of, like, running as, like, a scone staple until, I guess, if I get tired of it, but... The other scones uh, are like, I just ended apple, then I'll bring back the pumpkin one, and so I just kind of try to keep it interesting, but we've been, I feel like right now, I've kind of, I don't know if I let people down, but I feel like because we've been so busy with launching uh, the physical space, I haven't done 
too much like new variation so I feel like that's one of the slacks right now like the give and take of like how busy uh, I am but I, I feel like we're in the space now and so I'm already like I got a pumpkin I'm gonna roast it and like it's like yes. okay I need to add this and like work all these other things in and are you buying either your grains like the wheat or the fruits or the pumpkin yeah from other local farmers or how is that so we to do have a uh, a local vendor uh for flour right now and i haven't incorporated it into my stuff uh but the produce a lot of the produce either um we have some fruit trees and things at my house too Ooh. so some fruit and uh vegetables in, incorporated in savory food can come from my house also via trade, different gardens, or I just buy it from a it's farmer. It's back into that quilts we're talking yep. about. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you're seeing consumers or the citizens of Oklahoma City understanding how their purchasing power is important. Like, are you seeing people wake up to the idea that their dollar matters? Mm -hmm. And if so, how? It is reinforcing in uh not quite so much remember when people would be like straight up and i probably not everybody really remembers this but it was like vote with your dollar like uh -huh. that was like a thing and so this um era and what's happening with our business and i'm assuming with other people but with like local products it it is that like kind of vote with your dollar but also even coming more around to the economy side of it is like you're helping this these farmers and then their workers and or this family um so and we're not we don't try to like strictly like it's the farm family image like not that like straight up only strict wholesome thing but it is like they have like different uh employees whether it's like family friends or strangers or like uh it could be like immigrant migrant workers like it's all over the place but the thing is it is still smaller scale and so they do enjoy knowing and say we're we're in october right now this is when most farmers markets end mm -hmm. and so we're going into off season and that's going to be like a push and I think some people did hear it before it's like if you can keep buying from them it's like what they're doing doesn't necessarily end and for some farmers the reason why uh, we try to work with like with the Young Farmers Coalition and a lot of that networking and trying to figure this stuff out that's why it is because it ends or it did is why they have to work in oil why they have to actually have day jobs yes and try to farm on top of it a lot of people don't realize that um interestingly sitting with us is my dear friend katie gage who is here from tig texas and katie has a very interesting uh story as a part of to what you just shared in that she also lives on a farm in TIG and has a very similar uh, life set up to what you just described. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to share about no. it? or A quick, yeah, please share. Then we can have some <laughs> eats in the process of the share. Yeah. So we keep eating. Yeah. Yeah. So what you just said just resonates with me so much because um, I left D.C. two years ago. Two years ago, like now, um, to move back to my hometown, which is a town of 3,000 people very rural Texas, about 100 miles from the nearest major airport, um, and to, to be with my partner who lives there and um, who had the dream of sort of building a small farm, and he's been in agriculture his whole life, and we've been working to learn about 
regenerative practices and humane treatment of animals and try to incorporate um, a really strong value system between the two of us into the farming that we're doing. Um, and he also has a day job working in oil and gas. And so this like interesting dynamic tension between like thinking about regenerating the land and sequestering carbon and all of these things that come with, you know, trying to farm as responsibly as, as we can and through our view and then also, you know, the rural communities that are needing um, or that, that have all of this agriculture going on, but also a lot of the main industry is oil and gas or yep. mining. And the farming that is going on is extractive, not necessarily regenerative. Oftentimes, Oftentimes. yeah. And as you said earlier, um, not wanting to like ostracize or isolate necessarily people for their practices, work working together with a lot of people, but also with the bend on or you know organic or natural. Um, I think it's just really interesting. So I'm just like sitting here nodding my head as you're talking, <laughs> like yeah, so yeah. so fascinated by this because at least for me, my whole life has completely changed going from an urban environment to living on a farm in rural Texas and just seeing and and you know we we our town has never really had a farmer's market but two months ago started one and seeing like all the different people showing up with their their stuff and um so I think it's really exciting um and I think that's a starting point right there like the farmer's market like gives the the early drive for the demand mm-hmm. and then building the network and the reinforcement but then the and then the goal that's still hard is like how do you be a full-time farmer and yeah. I know we're all realizing that and it's like there's so many angles to like talk about the food on a local scale yeah. and it's complicated yeah well and also being in like a rural community you know this is an urban environment so you have the market here for mm-hmm. you know if you're a rural community and you have all this agriculture how do you attract people to come and see you without having to travel so far to try yeah. to sell and build a market um and we i think we've seen people coming in a little bit it's only been a couple of months but um but yeah what you talked about in terms of like trade and um the the community fabric is so real like we have friends that give us honey or bring us pumpkins we have we raise pigs so we have friends that um like raise a ton of squash and the stuff they have that goes back feeds our feed the hogs yeah i've done that before i I would feed them old cheese like (laughs) like at my shop so i i I, like befriended a pig farmer doing the food waste yeah so it's like there's so many layers to how it can be regenerative in this like really beautiful cycle when people work together yes and when people don't there's a lot of waste and a lot of extraction Mm -hmm. maybe and i think yeah that's a cultural thing and then even like whether we're talking about farming or the restaurant industry there's like it's what we all are like basing our angle and what we know i mean it's like it's all we've learned it's all we know and so then there's so many barriers that you're trying to break of like perspective and understanding and then also trying to check your ego all the time. Oh, and yeah. I think the ego check is like the big grand finale. Of everything. <laughs> like, it yeah. is. Everything in life. Yeah. It's, it's the requirement that we acknowledge the pillaging and extraction of the land, the 
yeah. colonization of mm-hmm. the Americas. The entitlement, yes. Yeah, it's, I mean, all of that needs to be acknowledged and recognized in order for us to move forward. Yeah, building with a new everyone, system. yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say I have found that farming is one of the most ego-destroying things I've ever done. (laughs) 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 Like, it's, you know, incredibly humbling Mm -hmm. to... That makes me want to cry. I'm like, happy tears. Yeah, I mean... It's hard. I'm learning it. Yeah. Yeah. And And I know I want to be there anyways, but it's like you can say it versus when you start to feel it and you can see it again of like, oh, this situation's going to come up. And it's like, well, I need to, I do need to be a team player, but how can I like have my voice heard, but also like come to a resolution? And it's just like, we all come from generations and generations of people that are like, they're your family and your friends and like your grandparents and everybody. But actually those people didn't communicate that great about things that matter and like getting stuff done and like and or about emotions or like how to handle them and a lot of things and so we're literally like I think it's like the first big wave of like great communication Ooh, I love this I love this the first big wave of great communication Ooh, okay that's a tidbit that is a tidbit so I'm wondering Um, in this new era of communication, what has surprised you the most about your adaptability? What are the things you've seen emerge for you, or even the community members you work with? How have people's adaptability surprised you? I think a lot of that, uh, the root of where the ego and where communication can be manipulated is power and control, and it's on so many different layers, like laterally, and everything and I I feel like for me is like letting go of some of the control and it's like it's mine it's me I like and just realize like I literally couldn't do this alone and it's like okay well what does that mean and then respect all the people and all the talents that come in together and everybody has all the, the, diff- the different things they have to bring to the table and then some of it overlaps and just kind of like let that be but there, there, yeah, of course there's going to be, like, tension or, like, a disagreement. But even right now, if I'm in a, I'm in a group of uh, equal co-owners and there can be an issue and then we can all take the time to be heard. And it's even amazing to me that we're, it's like, oh, we've been doing this. But then I was like, wait, it's even weird to me that we actually were able to talk about this hard stuff. Because be, before, that just literally didn't happen. You, you would, like, somebody be like, oh, you, you feel like you're telling them, or if you have to write something down, but at the end of the day, you kind of just get, like, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if someone yeah, need, were asking you, how's it going? Oh, fine. Yeah. Good. So it's, like, dis- it turns into communication before would be, like, dismissive, or I feel like a lot of times what I would assume most people have experienced, and... And the reason why it happens is because they've been trained to do that is just gaslighting. And then gaslighting actually doesn't solve problems and doesn't move anything forward. It kind of does the yeah, yeah, yeah thing and you don't address the issues and then it just turns into a vicious cycle. Like, which that is is a root of power and control, which can be like handicapping different angles of communication or aspects or a department or whatever it is. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 we'll get to it. Yeah. And then you bring it back up. Yeah, you're like, a month passed, what happened? And then that same person's like, you never told me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, no, we talked about it on this day. Yeah. And they're like, no, we didn't. Yeah. 
a very minutia example, but yeah. this is the emphasis yeah. of gaslighting to make someone else feel crazy for yes. something they have felt or said, even though in actuality it did occur. Yeah, yeah. And I had one of my friends, because so many people have left the industry, where they were in a meeting to address this ongoing problem, and then she wanted to, like, hear, like, head on, like, okay, blah, 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 time's passing, like, address it. And then the answer was like, okay, well, let's have a meeting about that. And it's like, what am I here for? <laughs> this is the meeting. This is the meeting <laughs> yeah. for it right now. Yeah. Right. We're in it. Yeah. Ah, oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that is fundamental to how people are currently and are desiring to adapt and move forward is this new wave of communication and looking power dynamics straight in the face and yes. saying why, why does this system need to be set up this way mm -hmm. and then check like your irritability like I, I've caught myself doing that I don't like the way that that feels but it's just like I know I'm I'm repeating what somebody's done to me and you just have to like you know be patient but hear people it's it's it seems hard but it's not that hard and luckily I, feel, I love that the younger generation is like no tell me now you know so that makes it easier so it's some some of the these fights are, I feel like, a little bit with the older generation, and it's not all of them. I never want to overgeneralize any group of people, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm wondering in this, um, in this reckoning or acknowledgement of how we want to be in relationship with one another, mm -hmm. what are things that you thought were non-negotiable that now are negotiable, or the inverse, things that you were sort of thinking about mulling over that you were negotiating them and now you have this really hard you know a harder boundary of something being non-negotiable for you um, even within our business just uh how forest started and how the market did and they've been kind of just running parallel and then one because of covid like obviously already like shot off which gave us a lot of opportunity and so just viewing opportunity in itself too can it can go can excuse me like uh a lot of things we just talked about opportunity for like an individual would make their judgment calls and like how they handle a situation and so even with these entities that we're running i have run into the struggle of like of like what is vision and i feel like we're all used to like where we're all working towards one person's vision to literally like can you work towards a lot of people's visions and then uh sometimes a vision of like what works say the farmer's market started with megan mm. so it's like dealing with like what it means to be like a founder of something and then letting other people come in to be part of the team but you still don't have more over them so that's like complicated but also if you get, it's just because you never deal with that that it doesn't need to be like the king or the queen on top and then we're all doing the work for them because that's what most of us that's all we know right and even though if they propose it going back to it's opportunity for you but it's actually not you um, make what you can the opportunity out of it but you're actually just elevating the pyramid mm -hmm. and who's at the top so how do we dismantle this everybody starts somewhere mm -hmm. so say uh, when i look at some of these other people and like myself and like where megan started is like everybody starts something and then just I don't it's like going into I could break it down for like food where it's like wholesale what's retail what goes what's appropriate for the farmers market a live one what's appropriate for the online 
I think then everything kind of just like then once you can work out all these other things I guess my answer is then the end result can more naturally organically fall in place because we we believe in like organically things work but then it's like you didn't even set up the foundation for it to happen Mm. so if, if say if I think of like some organizations that I know and if they say oh we're doing this like organically but it's actually there's like lack of leadership and direction and then the foundation is faulty then you can say it's organic but it's not and then you have these crazy expectations of people where it's like okay well we're putting out fires you know and stuff and that no one's feeling empowered and they're not actually the leader of this area that area if that makes sense definitely for sure and without a solid foundation or um agreed upon just collective agreements that everyone holds and shares Mm -hmm. and respect and respects yeah (laughs) then then there is an there is not a capability of empowerment mm-hmm. and a co-creation together. Yeah, and then the opportunities together. Not somebody's like, I'm per- I'm the only... Because uh, what I feel like I've experienced, especially as, like, a brown, black woman, is, like, people are, like, trying to convince me, like, no, I'm the only person that has your opportunity. Like, this is the opportunity. Like, they're the delivery... Mm-hmm. The deliverer of opportunity. Complex. Yes, uh-huh. and it's, like, I'm definitely, like, okay, this is not true. Mm-hmm. I know I... You know, there was a comedian, I wish I remembered her name, uh, but she, even with, like, dealing with, like, white feminism, and she said, like, white feminism will uh, try to convince you, like, hey, if, you, if everybody just lifts me up on their back through this window, I'll take you with me. Uh-huh. Fascinating. And then she makes it through the window, and of course you don't go with her. Mm-hmm. And then that's come up in conversation of, like, even with my pastry goods, I saw, like, some uh, public... Um, forums of like some stuff going down online and uh some of the call outs that people were making was like wow those are things that I've even said and I've witnessed where it's like oh somebody like wants me around and it's like oh but the things that you make are beautiful and then it's like they get the photo off with them you know so all of our work is like being exploited and tokenized Mm -hmm. yeah that is a extraordinary point and a very lived experience Mm -hmm. for so many individuals so thank you for naming it Mm -hmm. and I something we had done as a team at Curate is really acknowledge and of ourselves I am a white woman in this conversation and the ways in which we are even subconsciously operating in a patriarchal system based on, for example, white women tears is a very real um, part of this culture. I call that the the dame in distress, like, so then they're never accountable because then they can immediately be the victim. Yes. But then at the same, uh, in the same breath, but it's like, but they also can uphold patriarchy and like want to like be an equal, but really at the end of the day, it's like you want the position, you want the same power as the man. What that power isn't good. Like, what power are you wanting? Like, right, exactly. And I, yeah. So thank you for calling Mm -hmm. that out because that is absolutely something that exists not just in the food industry but at large in society. Yeah. And so how each of us have we have to unlearn it and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you wish I would have asked? Hmm. Or that we can be open to exploring. 
building food systems, resiliency, entrepreneurship. Yeah, I would just say like for like closing thoughts, uh, it's interesting. Like we're only in our second week uh, or weekend being in our physical location and then uh which is like okay go 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 and it's like okay it's not really a rat race like breathe and then when now I'm, I'm refocusing on like food products and like the things I love and like talking to people that you know that they make their their thing and the thing that they love and and uh it is a moment finally of like oh all of these things like the history of everything behind and accumulative like all coming ahead and kind of colliding and uh, and that's been pretty like interesting and I'm like it's I know it's like this giant Tetris game and I'm I'm where people are like are you excited are you excited are you excited and I was like honestly I was like I don't know yet and also I think it's just because of like everything we talked about what I've been through I wait every moment for somebody to pull the rug out from under mm-hmm. me so it's hard to like marry an idea and like and and feel the excitement because that to me it's like like yeah you feel safe and believing in it it's like yeah I believe the thing but there's so many factors I mean owning a building or getting a space or renting a space or like all and then having the finances or like people allow you to do anything and then getting away from people trying to tell you what to do um I want to see like from the bad experiences and all the good experiences um all of that the Tetris game like actually fall together so it's like I, I feel like I'm just bridging like okay I think I'm excited I think I'm excited like yes and still holding that both and emotion of lots of joy yeah and also I'm grateful yeah joy gratitude and also it is scary and anxiety producing it's all of the above yeah the roller coaster of small business mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, which is not just beholden to COVID times, yeah. it is ever-present. I would say definitely when some people uh, opening up places or, like, over the years and they're like, oh, I'm scared, and I, I don't feel scared. It's just, like, I feel like I've definitely adapted again. Like, mm-hmm. if it hits the fan, like, I know... How to pivot. I, like, because yeah. I've gotten used to fight or flight. No. <laughs> but I will. It's like, no, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. Like, It's honestly why I love running a small business and working with other small businesses because the skills that you learn around being courageous and brave and resilient and knowing that if something if shit does hit the fan there's always that opportunity mindset and yeah your capabilities they don't go away no and looping back to what you said at the top of the conversation even in scarcity to find bounty Mm -hmm. ah again anybody listening if they I know I'm inspired so if they're also inspired to reach out to you to follow you how can people find you like on the internet (laughs) so I finally launched my website literally as of like October 1st um it's my full name angelreneechase.com uh I set that up separately because I had been making like special order birthday cakes and um it's hard through the online store to take special orders there's not enough time so any of the weird stuff or like appointments where I can work through any special orders like that is online and then I'm going to flesh it out some more and then also weekly I'm always yeah listed on the Paseo uh farmersmarket.com website for the online store amazing Thank you so much. And, ooh, I should ask, do you have an Instagram or something of that? On Instagram right now, so Paseo is its own uh, entity on there. 
but my personal account is uh, double sworded, like two swords. Like, Ooh. It looks like doubles worded. <laughs> <laughs> doubles but worded. But like double meanings and over and over and over again. No. Uh, that's me. So it's like some photos, things in my garden, food that I make. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, us, in this space. Really appreciate it. For sure. Did you know that the tidbit is derived from a bi-weekly newsletter that we send out at Curate? In it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. Five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game. Head over to curate.co, C-U-R-E-A-T-E dot co to sign up. Also, we would love if more listeners like you could find out about the tidbit. Our mission at Curate includes the sharing of education and access to resources. And the best way to reach more folks like you is to leave a review on iTunes. Seriously, head over and let us know what tidbit of knowledge resonated with you. Until next time, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally.